0: Such a good news to know that we have a shepherd who cares for us as the Lord does. If you have your Bibles, I'd ask that you turn to Haggai chapter one. Haggai the minor prophet. We'll be reading the whole first chapter. <clears throat> the end of the Old Testament. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house." Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Dear Lord, we ask that your Spirit will use your word in the preaching of it to increase our faith and to touch those who have not yet accepted you as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brother. The struggle to maintain our priorities is one that we face every day. From the time that you finally stop hitting the snooze button on your alarm clock to the end of the day when your head finally hits the pillow, you're making decisions or not making decisions that reflect what you think to be important. Decisions that reflect your priorities. What will I spend my time on? Who will I spend my time with? What will I spend my money on? Even if we don't consciously reflect on uh, these things, these questions are ones that we're answering every day, and they reflect what our priorities are. And since our priorities ultimately reflect our actions, it's a critical question uh, that we ought to ask regularly is, what are my priorities? And then the next question is, are those priorities correct? Have I ordered them correctly? This ongoing struggle to prioritize our lives is uh, what makes the book of Haggai extremely relevant. The prophet Haggai's ministry uh, was to a people who had inverted their priorities because the people had failed to honor God uh, by making him their first priority. God sent the prophet Haggai to act as a spiritual alarm clock, waking the people up from their spiritual slumber and calling them to uh, address their backward spiritual priorities. So this is the message of Haggai 1. If you're a note taker, this is what you got to take down. God, through the prophet Haggai, calls and enables His people to repent and turn from their inverted priorities. God, through the prophet Haggai, calls and enables His people to repent, to turn from their inverted or backward priorities. Yet before we plunge into our passage itself, we have to ask, what's going on when Haggai begins his ministry? Perhaps some of you may have noticed that the sermon title tonight uh, is August 29. This is not a mistake, uh, and it's not wishful thinking on my part. We've had a a very enjoyable winter. Uh, But it's entitled August 29 because it was on August 29, 520 B.C. that the Lord spoke to the Jewish people through the prophet Haggai. We know this because the prophet Haggai uh, was a meticulous keeper of dates. Haggai begins in the second year of Darius the king, and Darius was the king of Persia at this time. In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. So at a particular time, which would be August 29 on our calendars, Haggai was given a message from God to deliver to the people uh, who had returned. From exile in Judah. God had used the people, or God had used the kingdom of Babylon rather, to punish Judah for her persistent idolatry, you might remember. The armies of Babylon had laid siege to Judah and to Jerusalem, destroying its walls and, and uh, leveling its temple, and whisking the people off into captivity. The people remained in captivity for several decades until God moved in the heart of the most powerful man alive at that time, Cyrus the king of Persia, and he moved in his heart to to cause him to release the Jews so they could go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. You can read about this in the book of Ezra. Ezra says that any Jew who felt called to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple was freed to do so and that Cyrus even returned the gold and silver that had been taken from the temple uh, and he gave it back to the people. If you look at Ezra 2, uh, verses 68 and 69, you'll see that the returned exiles had donated vast sums of money to this uh, project, this rebuilding project. They donated 1,100 pounds of gold and three tons of of silver. So that's millions of dollars. I think it's something like 17 million dollars uh, of gold alone. So 50,000 Israelites uh, returned to the promised land driven by this zeal, this strong call to rebuild the temple of God. These were These people were serious about rebuilding the temple, as their financial commitment alone suggests. Now, under the leadership of Zerubbabel, the governor, and uh, Joshua, the priest, within several months of their return, the people had rebuilt the altar, which was found in the temple uh, for making sacrifices, which you can read about in Ezra chapter 3. And the next year, they broke ground and laid the foundations of a new temple. And the building project was moving ahead until, well, until Ezra 4 happens, Adversaries of God's people confront Judah and they conspire to discourage and intimidate and frustrate the temple building plans and the project grinds to a halt. And time passed. At first it's a few weeks, and then a few months, and then a few years. In total it's 16 years that have gone by since the people put down their tools. It was 16 years Sixteen years of life happening. Some of you aren't even 16 uh, years old yet. It was your entire lifespan uh, where no temple building activity was going on. People were married during this time. People had kids. People worked the land, and if they had extra time, they maybe took their kids to soccer practice and ballet. People built houses. Life happened over those 16 years. I'm sure they were a full 16 years. But at the temple site, uh, God's uh, earthly habitation from which he had promised that spiritual blessings would flow, a bare foundation stood as the swirl and busyness of everyday life went on around it. Until August 29, 520 BC, when God, when God broke into the swirl. God spoke, he gave his word is the constant refrain in Haggai of God speaking. God speaks to Judah through the prophet Haggai and He rebukes them for prioritizing their own interests, their own lives over His house and His honor. So what does does God say? What, What does God say through the prophet Haggai? Well, Haggai's divinely inspired sermon has four points. First, God repeats the claim made by Judah. These people, God says in verse 2. He's distancing Himself from His his covenant people. These people say it's not yet time to rebuild My house, the temple. Notice what a cooling of zeal this shows on the part of of the people of Judah. Sixteen years prior, these people had had made the trek back from exile. They had donated vast sums of money uh, for rebuilding the house of uh, of God. They... At great expense to themselves, they had started this project. Many of the people who were saying now's not the time were in fact the ones who had initially come to rebuild the house of the Lord, we can expect. And now, they're not so anxious. Second, God issues a charge against Judah in verses 4 and 9. Look at those verses with me if you would. Verse 4, God says, Is it a time for you yourselves, that is for Judah, to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Then look at the last part of verse 9. God says that it is because my house lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. God charges Judah with paying so much attention to their own houses uh, that they have neglected his. Verse 4 is reference to paneled houses. Uh, that might either mean that uh, the people had put a roof on their own houses uh, while uh, God's temple remained uncovered or unfinished. Uh, or it could possibly mean that the, the people had um, in, included some um, uh, fancy paneling in their houses. They, they had made their house nice while God's house still lay in ruins. Whichever is the case, uh, whatever is intended here, God accuses Judah of being so preoccupied with their own houses, with their own uh, things, being more concerned with that than with his house and his honor. Each of you busies himself with his own house, God charges. The people's priorities, you see, have become uh, uh, backwards. They've been wrongly reversed. God's honor and God's presence had become secondary concerns. Third point Haggai makes in his divinely inspired sermon, well, God tells them to consider the consequence of their inverted backwards priorities. Verses 5-6, to God tells the people to think about how things are going. Things aren't going well. They're working hard, but gaining little. They're eating and drinking, but remaining hungry and thirsty. They're making money, but seemingly not getting any further ahead. People say it's, it's not time to build the temple, and they put themselves, their home, their agenda first, and yet they don't seem to be getting any uh, further ahead on things. It's, it's like they're running a race on a treadmill. They're sweating much and advancing very little. And it's not simply bad luck we read in verses 9 to 11, but this is God's chastening hand on Judah. It says, You looked for much, and behold, it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Verse 10, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce and I, I, God says, have called for a drought on the land and the hills. So here's Judah, returned from the promised land which they were excited uh, uh, to do and despite whatever expectations they had about what life would have been like in the promised land things are not as bountiful as they would have hoped. Why is that? Well, if you have your Bible still, I'd ask that you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy 11, verse 13. God tells His people there, "...and if you will indeed obey My commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, He will give the rain for your land in its season." The early rain and the later rain that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. He will give grass in your fields for your livestock and you shall eat and be full. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit. And you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving to you. Love me above all else. That's what God says here. Make uh, anything or anyone else uh, higher than me, God says. Uh, Make them your first priority, and that's idolatry. So poor prioritization isn't just bad self-management, it's sin. Love me with all your heart and with all your soul, the Lord says, and I will bless you and I will cause the land to flourish beneath your feet. But if your heart's become preoccupied with other things by giving greater honor to things other than God, and if you get your priorities backwards, I'll shut up the heavens, God says. And so in August 520 B.C., God, by His providence and by His prophet, called the people to repent of their backward, idolatrous, inverted priorities. And the fourth point Haggai makes in his sermon. The Lord, through Haggai, directs Judah as to the necessary change that needs to take place. In verse 8, God tells Judah what repentance looks like. How should they respond to the word that's being spoken to them? Well, the appropriate response to the word is action. It's to start doing what they were supposed to be doing in the first place. Go to the forest, chop down some wood, buy a couple hammers, and get to work. Obedience demonstrates repentance in action. That was Haggai's sermon to the people. And after Haggai had spoken the word of the Lord to the people, something amazing happened. This is captured in verses 12 to 15. So Haggai preaches God's word. The people hear. The people fear. And the people obey. Because God had worked in the hearts of the people to enable them to turn from their backwards priorities. So what we see here in Haggai is a biblical picture of repentance. Repentance. God speaks to his people through his word, and then he stirs up the spirits of the people so that they fear the Lord. And it's this fear and it's this reverence that gives rise to obedience in spite of whatever opposition still might remain against this temple rebuilding project. Don't miss how awesome this is. Haggai is the prophet that all the other Old Testament prophets would have been jealous of. Because right? Haggai preaches and the people respond right away. You can think, you know, Jeremiah is uh, looking at this somewhere and saying, man, why did he get the easy assignment? Jeremiah preaches his whole ministry and he has, uh, uh, he's just suffering and he's persecuted and ignored. And here's Haggai, he preaches, bam, the people respond. And the people respond. The, the, the people are, are, are moved to reverence. Uh, and, and they're not just moved to reverence, they're, they're moved to, to swift action. This is active repentance. The temple site, which had, had remained quiet uh, and had not heard the sounds of construction for 16 years, it was bustling within three weeks. What can explain such a dramatic change on the part of the people? Uh, of the people who had gotten their priorities backwards and mixed up for so long as they had been frantically chasing their own glory of their own houses. All this while leaving God's house in disrepair. We'll look at verses 12 and 14. The reason for the dramatic change is that God produced repentance through his word. You'll hear the word. And he produces repentance by his spirit. His word and his spirit enables the people to reorder their priorities and reapply themselves to the people, or to the purposes, rather, of God. So God not only calls his people to repentance here, uh, to a reprioritization of their lives, but he also empowers the transformation that's necessary to take place. So now we might be asking, what does a building project uh, 2,500 years ago have to do uh, with us here in uh, uh, western Michigan? Well, several things. First, God demands that we make him our first priority. So let's not forget this most basic point here. God, as the one who created us and continues to give us life, ought to be our top priority. Notice how God thinks that making Him our top priority is important. That's why August 29 happens. August 29, 520 B.C. uh, doesn't happen because of some flagrant sexual sin. It doesn't happen because child sacrifice is happening or some other corrupt business practices. August 29 happens because God, uh, God thinks this is so important, that he is the, his people's number one priority, that he comes and he speaks through his prophet, a special word. That's why August 29 happens. God thinks it's important enough to speak to his people because he should be their number one priority. Not only that, because uh, God is supremely excellent and perfect, we will also find that as we make Him who is of greatest worth to be our greatest priority, this will also lead to our greatest happiness. So make knowing and pleasing and delighting in God your chief concern. That's the first point we should take from this. Second, beware of gradual, subtle Deterioration of Proper Priorities. Perhaps you've had it uh, where you're maybe uh, reading a book in a room late in the afternoon, uh, as the sun is going down, and uh, you're just so immersed in whatever uh, book you're reading uh, that you don't notice that the light is gradually fading. Uh, Incrementally, the room is getting darker and darker and darker, and you're oblivious to all this until someone uh, comes into the room and says, what are you doing reading in the dark? happens at my house uh, with some regularity. Um, well, this this is what happens spiritually to the exiles. Okay, They have this tremendous zeal at first uh, to rebuild God's temple, but after some initial resistance, some initial opposition, the people's uh, zeal for the Lord's house, their zeal for God's presence and God's honor, uh, dim- it diminishes. It it, it was in undetectable increments, I'm sure, at first. They become so caught up in uh, their day-to-day existence, they become so caught up with, with their own interests, that as the years pass, they never realize that their devotion had dried up, their zeal had diminished, and their priorities had become completely backward. So brothers and sisters, beware of gradual spiritual decline. A subtle shift in what's important. The discreet change in the object of your pursuit. The enemy of your soul will just as soon strike you with the subtle poison of gradual indifference as he would with the explosive results of flagrant sin. Thirdly, God's gracious alarm clock. Haggai's ministry to the poorly prioritized people was that uh, of a spiritual alarm clock. As the people's spiritual zeal had gradually deteriorated and their priorities had become reversed, God graciously sends His Word on August 29 to act uh, as a wake-up call to the people. The exiles had, had gradually come to settle for the form of religion without the power of religion. They, they, they had had settled for the fact that, uh, well, we, we've got the altar there, so we, we can make the sacrifices. Uh, but, but the temple, which symbolized God's presence with His people, that was suddenly optional. Right? They could go with the form, but not the presence of God. People didn't realize their spiritual decline until they were shaken by God's Word on August 29. Gradual spiritual decline is something that God, by His Word, must wake us up from. Perhaps you're settling for the form of religion, without desiring the power and presence of God. The external service is still in place. Perhaps you're sacrificing uh, time to the ministry here. You're, you're uh, uh, outwardly devoted to it. You're uh, donating money. You're regular in your attendance. But without even noticing it, you become so preoccupied with the stuff of life. House projects and kids' programs and volunteer work, your social calendar, that the primacy of God has been forgotten. Could this day today, April 2nd, be your August 29 moment? Could God, by His Word, be waking you up this evening to the truth that your priorities need to change? On August 29, the people's priorities uh, were measured against the temple reconstruction. Now, we don't have... Uh, temples, as nice as your building is here. Uh, so are, are we supposed to gauge our, our spiritual priorities against how much time we, we spend uh, in, in this building, maintaining it, cleaning it, whatever? Well, uh, no. because it, Which is good news. Uh, because it was not the temple structure that was ultimately significant. What was significant is that the temple was the place where God had chosen Uh, to, to make His special dwelling with His people. But God didn't always intend for the temple to be the symbol of His dwelling amongst His people. Indeed, the temple that was rebuilt under Haggai's day would be replaced. And as a temple, it would be replaced by Herod's temple. But as a place where God's presence dwelt, where God the Most High came and was amongst His people, this was replaced by Jesus Christ, the one in whom the fullness of deity dwelt. Jesus Christ was the greater temple. The infinite God's special dwelling on earth amongst his people. Christ Jesus, the God-man, was the place where heaven touched earth. Jesus told us this when he said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And he was speaking about the temple of his own body, We read in John 2. And when Jesus ascends into glory, he gives the Holy Spirit to his followers, and so that the church... The people of God, not the building, the church, the people of God is now the temple of the living God with the Spirit of God dwelling amongst us. This we read in 2 Corinthians 6. So with the coming of the Son of God in in human flesh, the measure of our spiritual priorities is not the commitment that we show to the building of the Lord, but to the person of the Lord Jesus and to the people of the Lord Jesus, the church. So is the spiritual alarm clock of God's Word waking you up to the fact that you have neglected your commitment to Christ and to His people? Is today your August 29 moment? Now God's not reprimanding you for retiling your kitchen or for watching your kids run around in pods at soccer games or taking a vacation. He doesn't rebuke Judah for having houses or even for working on their houses. He rebukes them for becoming so busy with their houses, with their own lives, that they've neglected the Lord and given Him second place, or third place, or 15th place in their list of priorities. So let me ask, does your budget reflect the Lord Jesus and His people as your first priority? Does your money reflect that? Is worshiping with God's people actually a priority for you? Are the Sunday worship services the first thing that you pencil into your, pro, uh, your calendar or program into your iPhone? Uh, what, what about your personal devotions before the Lord? What about the time you spend in, in prayer uh, that the temple of God, the church of Jesus Christ, would be built up and His name would be glorified in all the earth? What is your day planner witness to? What would, if we called your day planner up here, what would it say your priorities are? Now, it's not about the form of religion. It's not about checking off boxes or meeting some quota, but it's about prioritizing the pursuit of God's presence. It's not about you doing everything. It's about what are you putting first? What is your priority? Now, this is a daily struggle. On Monday, what will your priorities be? Next Sunday afternoon... After a crazy week, what will your priorities be? When work and home is crazy busy, what will your priorities be? We need regular exposure to God's word so that through his word God will give us August 29 moments where we are called to repent of our inward or of our inverted spiritual priorities. And lastly, we are going to fail in keeping God as our top priority we will sin by neglecting god in the pursuit of the things of our own houses so first we need forgiveness and then we need help and we get help god sent his son jesus into the world to live a life where his priorities were perfect he had a pure and perfect zeal for god the father uh Unlike the returned exiles, unlike you, unlike me, Jesus could say with full integrity, my food, that, that which sustains me, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And yet it was Jesus who went to the cross to atone for the sin of people like us, who at one time or another have said, now's not the time, Lord. And it's Jesus who credits to us the record of his perfect priorities. And because Jesus ascended to the Father, He has given us the powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit. See this power at work in verses 12 to 15. God not only calls us to repent of our backward priorities, but He also enables us to repent of them. The Spirit of God, who moved the most powerful, the heart of the most powerful man on earth, uh, to Cyrus, to send the people back to work on the temple, this same Spirit is ours to work in our houses in our hearts to turn our hearts back to putting God as our first priority. So God through the prophet Haggai's ministry not only tells us that we must put God first, but we learn that he also works in us so that we can make him first. He calls us to place him first and he enables us with great power to put him first. So as God exposes our backward priorities, may we rejoice that He enables and empowers us to turn back to Him who is greatest and most glorious. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You that Your Word speaks so clearly. We are spiritually dull people. So we need a clear Word. And we hear so clearly tonight the reminder that you must be first. We must love you above all else. There are to be no other gods uh, that we place ahead of you or beside you. We are to worship you with our whole being. So, Lord, we confess that we have not always done this. We have failed in this. We have sinned. This is a grievous thing. But we thank you, Lord, that by your word, spiritual alarm clock might go off, awakening us to the fact that that we have not placed you first and, and, and uh, that you would call us by your word to repent of our backward inverted priorities. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit who enables us sinners to turn from our backward priorities and to place you first above all things. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who enables us uh, to pursue God above all else. Not the form of religion Uh, but the power of the presence of God. And we thank you for Jesus, the one who had perfect priorities and who died for us sinners. We thank you, Lord, that it's by his blood, by his death, by his resurrection, that we now approach you with confidence, knowing that you receive us. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.